You know, we've been talking about parables over the last six weeks, and so we've heard a lot of the, um, the expression kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, and it got me thinking about what I used to think of when I was a kid when I heard that. So, you know, you hear kingdom, in he- kingdom of heaven, and for me, it would conjure up these images of huge throne and, and um, a, a God sitting upon it, and he definitely resembled Gandalf the wizard or, um, or maybe Dumbledore, right, with the big beard. And, and, uh, and there were usually some kind of mystical creatures flying around his head and angels everywhere and, and people that would just pour before him. And so anytime I would hear this mentioned, that is what I would think of. And I think one of the reasons that God spoke that Jesus spoke so much about the kingdom of heaven during his time on earth is because I'm not alone in that picture. I think even back then, that is often the type of image that people would conjure when they were thinking about the kingdom of God, this this big ethereal image. But the reality is that, that the kingdom of God is not just this ethereal place somewhere that we go to after we've died. The kingdom of heaven is here and now. It is in the hearts and the minds of the believers who walk this earth. It is anywhere where God reigns, where his will is being done. It is carried out with us as believers everywhere we go. It was one of the things that Jesus spoke about the most. Because he needed us to understand it's in the here and the now. So one of the parables that he used to help us understand what the kingdom of heaven was like is the parable of the mustard seed. We're going to read just that portion of it again right now. So it starts, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds come and perch in its branches. So in this video, you just saw how tiny those mustard seeds are, right? I mean, you could fit like 20, 10, 20 mustard seeds in like a pumpkin seed. These are tiny little things. But when they grow, they grow rapidly and they grow huge. They take over. They're about 12 feet tall, which is like two and a half of me. And so they really dominate and they spread out. Um, Some little facts about it. So it is one of the fastest germinating seeds. It will germinate in just about three days. And it is also one of the hardiest seeds. So it can survive droughts well. And as soon as that moisture comes, again, it germinates very quickly. It also goes to seed faster than just about anything else. So that while other seeds are just starting to bloom, while other plants are just starting to bloom flowers, the mustard seed plant has already dropped its seeds again. And of course, it's germinating quickly again. So you can see how it would spread rapidly and it could take over just about anything in its path. This was a surprising choice for Jesus to use as an illustration. 
For one thing, no one would plant it in their garden because of everything we just talked about. It takes over. It, it makes it impossible for other plants to get nutrients. It just keeps going. It's also basically a common weed. You wouldn't need to plant it. It's everywhere because it grows unchecked. It also directly contradicts images that the Pharisees might have used to describe Israel. So for years throughout the history of the Bible, we see instances time and again where great kingdoms or the Israelites are referred to as the Lebanon cedar. Now, the Lebanon cedar, the cedars of Lebanon are huge trees. They are massive in their size and they are strong and wide and their roots run particularly deep. These are majestic trees. And we see instances of them being used back when Solomon built the temple. There's references to them both in Hosea and in the Psalms time and again. Daniel, when he is having his prophetic vision, cites them as the representation of Babylonia. Ezekiel refers to it multiple times, the first in reference to the Assyrian Empire that would grow and ascend, and then later when he is talking about God's people. Ezekiel 17, 22, 23 says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I, will, I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it and it will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. So you can see the image that they have held onto for generations. What God's holy nation would look like. And yet, here's Jesus describing the kingdom of heaven, which is the biggest and best kingdom ever, and what he chooses to use to describe it is a mustard tree. Nothing more than a nuisance and a common weed. Now, my expectation is that many of the people listening to this were shocked and angered. They had thought of themselves as a stately cedar. Who wants to be a common weed? No, no, no. Jesus definitely got that wrong. And then there were others who I would expect got a good chuckle out of it because they recognized exactly what Jesus was doing and kind of digging at the Pharisees a little bit right here. They could see that he was trying to make them uncomfortable. And it did because it was in opposition to what their understanding of the Torah would have been. You see, the Torah had very strict instructions about separation. Things needed to be 
a certain way, separated out. For example, you wouldn't mix types of fabrics. You wouldn't yoke a donkey and an ox. You wouldn't mix types of seeds when planting. We see this idea of separation equaling holiness reflected throughout the purity code that was developed. They referred to it in, in Hebrew as the Kadash. And so in an effort to remain pure, Pharisees and other Jews would avoid all types of things that they believe made them unclean. Everything from the eating of certain foods, mixing of certain foods, speaking to a woman in public, coming in contact with someone with leprosy or other certain diseases, not washing one's utensils properly, washing one's hands properly after a meal. For generations, the importance was to be different, separated, pulled out and away from what surrounded them. And for good reason. These were a people who spent their history being invaded by other countries larger than them. They spent their lives being taken over. Other countries were constantly trying to take them over and assimilate them into their culture. They were God's chosen people and they needed to be different. They needed to be set apart. Or soon they would not exist. Now, any of you who have heard me speak before know that um, I am not a very big fan of cooking. It's not my favorite domestic chore. However, I really do like laundry. You know, when the kids were little, laundry kind of became my respite almost. So, you know, I would take a bin and, and unload all of those clean clothes out of the dryer and head up the stairs saying, Mommy's folding laundry now! Dump it on the bed, turn on my favorite show, and fold very slowly. Usually numerous times throughout that, that experience, I'd have to yell out, Oh, I'm sorry, I can't right now, I'm folding laundry! It usually took at least the length of one show to fold a load of laundry. But, you know, kids make a lot of laundry, and so as much as I didn't mind doing it, I kind of got tired of separating things out, and so I just kind of did laundry as laundry came. 99% of the time, it was fine. There was no problem with that. Every now and then, someone would get a new, say, pink shirt that would just get mixed in with all the laundry. And after it went through a load and I took it out and I'd realized that huh, I now had a whole load of pink laundry. Now, some things it's not a big deal. You just pull pants on over it and who cares? My husband strongly objected to the pink cargo shorts. When things weren't kept separate, they were in danger of losing their identity. The separation was crucial. However, somewhere along the way, separation equaled holiness. Now, the reality is, the term kadash literally just means 
separate or apart, like what you should do with your laundry. You could kadosh your laundry. It doesn't equal holiness. It's what God chooses to do with what's been set apart that makes it holy. Somewhere along the way, that got mixed up. And the rules and the regulations became what made them holy in their minds. That became more important to them than what God was calling them to. So much so that they missed holiness when he walked beside them. They couldn't see Jesus for who he was because of their rules. They were meant to be a vehicle to meet God. Now, we can't be too hard on them because the reality is there are times when we can find ourselves in the same place. You know, as Christians, we have this invisible checklist in our heads of what it is we need to do to be a good Christian. And we check it off. I went to church. I went to study. I went to do this. And those things are vehicles that God has given us to know him better. But when they simply become something to check off, they can start to take our focus away from who we should be meeting when we're there. Because it is Jesus that makes us holy. So, the Pharisees have been convinced that this separateness is an act of holiness. So their focus is on that, which means that there is absolutely no way that a mustard seed could possibly represent the kingdom of God. Because the mustard seed is messy. It does not stay in nice, neat rows. It's going to overtake everything and anything. And you know what else happens? Birds come and live in it. And you know what happens when birds get in a garden? Nothing good. They eat the seeds. They eat the fruit. And before long, there's nothing left for us. No. No, the Pharisees could not see a mustard tree being the kingdom of God. But the reality is, that image is completely consistent with who Jesus was. He, from the moment he began teaching, turned the Pharisees' up, ideas upside down. He was messy. He hung out with those who were considered outcasts. He healed on the Sabbath. He spent time with and even made Samaritans the righteous figure in his stories. He fellowshiped with women and taught them side beside men. He broke the purity code more times than I can count. He was, God was desperately trying to show them his image of holiness was in Jesus, not 
in what they were clinging to. Once Jesus arrived on the scene, it was no longer about being separate, but instead, it was about radical love. So that faith we have that's as small as a mustard seed, when that faith experiences God's love, it explodes. It takes over. It becomes messy because it is transforming us. When we meet God and we begin to know him, we are no longer the same people we used to be. We can't stay in our same little rows. We have to go out. We have to get in the trenches. And just like that mustard tree drops seeds everywhere, we go out and take the kingdom of God with us everywhere we go. And whether we're talking about as a whole, the church, or whether we're talking about our lives in, in God and as individuals, both ways, when we are living out God's will, people are attracted to him in us. Just like the birds that come and take roost, people are drawn to Jesus when we are living out the kingdom of God and they meet him and then they can't stay in their rows either and they go out. This is one of the ways that we see the kingdom of heaven grow here on earth. This is where uh, Jesus begins the second story. And he tells us, he still told, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. So a very little bit of yeast that works through a tremendous amount of dough. Now, throughout the Bible, the illustration of yeast is used often. Uh, and it can represent something good, like it does here when we are talking about the kingdom of heaven. Or it can represent something that is not good, like evil or sin or something like that. But what is true, regardless of what it is representing, is the fact that it presents the idea that something small can work through and influence something much larger. This is not a new idea to us, right? The reality is that we are either influencing or being influenced every day, all the time, in so many different ways. 
And we get this when it comes to our kids, right? I mean, we all have heard our parents say or say ourselves, you know, you shouldn't watch that or listen to that or read that. You know, it's not going to be a good influence on you. Maybe it's a person that you shouldn't be hanging out with because it's not going to be a great influence on you. We get that we have to watch what we take in because as my mom used to say, garbage in, garbage out, right? And we get that, and we are quick to monitor that with our kids. But sometimes we affect, we forget that it affects us as adults as well. You know, we watch shows, and and for instance, gossip. You know, so this is something that is prevalent in our community. It's prevalent in our whole world. It is second nature to talk about someone else. It's nobody thinks about it twice, right? And so we see it on TV. We read about it in books. There are whole songs written about other people. You know, it's just what it is. It's part of our culture today. So much so that as it continues to influence, we begin to not even recognize it in our own lives, We begin to not see it or to rationalize it because we've been influenced by the things around us rather than influenced by the Word of God or by the Holy Spirit in that area. Now, for each of us, there are different things that are going to influence us differently. You know, there are things that, you know, my, uh, my girlfriend can't watch scary movies because she'll be up for weeks and weeks and weeks, and it just will, like, let open that door to fear and forget it. She's done for, right? So for me, it doesn't really bother me. I can watch something, you know, it's fine. I can go to sleep. It's not a big deal. There are different ways different people are influenced by different things. So it is one of those conversations we need to be having with God again and again. What is influencing me? I have a friend who um, is deathly afraid of clowns. Different friend, actually. Deathly afraid of clowns. And she uh, really, I don't know whether she had a traumatic event as a child or just doesn't like them, but it's, it's almost comical. And uh, so she was very careful when she had, had her son that she did not want to influence him. She didn't want to pass her fear down. So while she would avoid things and while she might ask her husband to take him to certain events or to, to, you know, watch certain shows with him because she really couldn't, the reality is that she did her very best not to influence him to be afraid of clowns. But as he got older, she began to see that same fear manifest in him. The topic of nightmares, aversions at parties, things like that. Now, we can argue nature versus nurture till we're blue in the face, and I am 100% sure that they have not yet found the gene that passes down a fear of clowns. Despite her best efforts, she still influenced her son. And we can argue about maybe it was a lack of exposure as a child or whatever it was. But the reality is, we are influencing people all the time with the choices we make, the words that we use, all the time. And God calls us to be aware and intentional with that influence that we have. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 
in 1 Corinthians, Paul calls out the church of Corinth saying, dude, you've got somebody in your leadership that is doing something so awful, even the pagans won't touch it. And if that weren't bad enough, you're out boasting about it. I've heard about it and I'm not anywhere near you. And he tells them, remember, the influence of sin spreads quickly. Don't you know, he says, that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? That is the example of the negative. Jesus presents us with the example of the positive. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. When just a little bit is added, it works through all the dough. We want our influence to be bringing the kingdom of heaven with us wherever we go. Philip Gully and James Mulholland wrote a book entitled, If Grace is True. Um, and in it is this great description of God's holiness. And I think it kind of gives us a picture of influence. I just want to read a very small section from it. Holiness is God's ability to confront evil without being defiled. God's holiness does not require him to keep evil at arm's length. God's holiness enables him to take the wicked in his arms and transform them. God is never in danger of being defiled. His love endures forever. No manner of evil done to us or by us can separate us from this love. God transforms his morally imperfect children through the power of his perfect love. It is our experience of this love that inspires us to such perfection. When we meet Jesus, when we choose to follow him and to walk with him, when we experience that love, our response is to want to love him back, to want to please him, to want others to know about him and his goodness. That transformation that takes place because we have met a holy God. Hope was founded on this idea. The idea that God wants to meet people and people want to meet God. We're watching it take place right now in Mount Laurel and it's amazing. When that campus first started, we were in a school and we knew we don't, we're not going to have a building so we need to be very intentional. And so Rick met all the time with different leadership figures in Mount Laurel and said, hey, how can we serve you? And so from the smallest things, whether it was passing out candy at a Christmas event, to uh, parking cars, to um, working traffic patrol, or to um, our bands playing at different township events, Hope looked to serve however it could to bring God's influence into a community. And it was so felt that the leadership came back to Rick and said, hey, we've never had a church want to help like you guys have, want to be a part of this town like you guys have. And we'd love it if you use the community center to meet. 
God's influence. The kingdom of heaven that goes forth. It's one of the reasons why we have a MOPS, the Mothers of Preschoolers program here at Hope. It's not a Bible study. It is an opportunity to meet mothers with preschoolers. It's an opportunity to be who we are and maybe influence some other moms towards Jesus who might be having a hard time on their own right now. It's why we do our married life events, why we'll go out periodically and just hang out, eat appetizers, no agenda. We want to get to know each other, to influence each other for Jesus, and to meet other people and do the same. So our challenge this week is twofold. The first is to look at where we are being influenced. Have we set ourselves up in positions where we can be influenced by God? Are we using those vehicles that God gave us wisely? Are we using church and service and small groups to get to know him better and in a more deep way? Or has something else crept in? Are we being influenced by something that maybe we hadn't realized until now? And we need to shift our focus. The second part of that challenge is to recognize the places that God has called us to. The sports groups, the teams, work, neighbors, school, where has God sent us? And are we bringing the kingdom of heaven with us when we go? Are we influencing others for Jesus? You stand with me as we pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, Lord that your love is eternal. Lord God, we are so grateful that there is nothing that we can do or not do that will change that. And because of that love, Lord Jesus, we want to serve you. We want to honor you, Lord. We want to know you better. And so we ask God that you would continue to give us opportunities to do that that you would show us, Lord God, where we can be influenced by believers around us. And likewise, God, we ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to where it is you are leading us, that when we walk out these doors, that we would take you with us, that our interactions, Lord God, would be intentional influences towards Jesus. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Go and have a great week knowing that you are people of influence.